You are now listening to Deep Dives with Father Sean O'Brien, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. Hello again. Welcome back to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the church are also important moments of catechesis. That's what we're doing here today. That's what I was doing on the podcast. Unless I get distracted or something like that. I suppose it happens. Um, I'm going backwards in time. First, before I tell you about my, my little time trip I'm going to take you on, I bought a new microphone. I think I dropped my previous baby too much on its head in my microphone. It worked, but I think the quality of the sound was, was not as good as it used to be. So I got a new one, a new fresh one here. Um, so this is what I got here. You know, some of the recordings that I had first done were not with any microphone. It was just the microphone on my camera or my phone, <laughs> my camera phone, my smartphone. It was so smart that it can take pictures, so smart that I can do audio, but not like super smart where it could do really good audio. So at some point, uh, a friend of mine convinced me like, hey, you know what? You should make it easy for people to listen to if you really want this to be a, a reasonable thing to uh, communicate. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to go back into the archives. I'm going to go back into the archives, and I'm going to do a reteaching on the simple teachings of the revealed God. Kind of, who is God? Who the heck are you, Lord? Uh, you are the God who I believe in, and I desire to know you more. Show me who you are. So this is this is the this is what we're going to do, and what we'll be doing, and this will go forward for a few months. And this is a, it'll be a decent sized series here. I'm really excited for after this because I'm going to dig into the Eucharist. I'm just getting into a, an excellent deep book on the Eucharist and it should be super good, super good. It's so good that I might even have to break it up into chunks and do one series on the Eucharist, a second series on the Eucharist, a third and fourth. I don't really know, but uh, this is the year of Eucharistic revival. So it'll be worthwhile. Um, without further ado, let's just dive right on in. What do you think about that? Sound reasonable to you? I think that'll be a, a good plan for us here. Um, so, let's see here. We're going to begin with a prayer, as I always do. And we'll invoke, invoke the Lord's grace. So let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the one true God, the Holy God, the God in three persons, the God who is love. Well, we didn't know this at the beginning. We had to learn who you are. You had to show us. You had to teach us. And we didn't always want to learn. We didn't, we're not always good students. But we ask that you renew us by the gift of your Holy Spirit so that we may become good students, that we may have an open heart, open ears, that we may receive exactly who you are without our own interpretations. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Excelente, excelente. So today's first of these teachings, and the simple teachings of the revealed God, or maybe we could say the revealing God, you know, because that's more of what he does. It's not so much that he has been revealed, but he's doing the revealing. And I want to introduce this idea with, with an example. When you go on a date... You know, there's, you know, the most pretty girl in the world or for the ladies out there listening, you know, there's, there's the, the hunkiest man you've ever seen. Boom. Look at those biceps, whatever. And what are you going to do? Here's what you're not going to do. Oh my gosh. I love you totally. This is our first date, but I'm revealing 
all of who I am right now, and I'm not going to give you any chance to talk. And you kind of just like spew all over your date uh, all the information about yourself. Well, I was born on April 14, 1987, and my first baptism was this. My only baptism was this day, and my this was who was there. And then I took my first step this day. My first words was this, and this is blah, blah, blah. You know, you're not going to give them all the information. You can't because it's just too much. It's too much. Why is it too much? Because uh, for you ladies out there who's going on a date with a dude, the dude's not going to want to listen to it all. He's just going to be like, oh, wow, this girl is just talking. I can't get a word in. Wrong date. Not going to work. You know, they're kind of looking for chemistry, right? You're kind of looking for chemistry, not for someone to hog the conversation. You want to have a little desire. You want to leave something on the table there. You want them to be curious. Well, who is this Jim? Who is this Kelly? And you kind of get in. You get a little curiosity going. You leave a little bit out there, a little bit of desire, a little bit of questioning. And then over the series of dates, over time, you get to know the other person to the point where you're like, yeah, I know who this person is. Not to say you know the person perfectly, but you can say, I know this person, not just facts about this person. To know the person is different than knowing facts about a person. Because I could know a lot of facts about Abraham Lincoln, but I've never met the guy. <laughs> so, you know, I it's, it's a lot more than just knowing facts about someone. This is an example for how we are in relationship with God. How we are in relationship with God. So look at this here. It's God who slowly, slowly reveals himself to us. He didn't come down in one shebang and say, behold, this is the fullness of my pre my presence. You know, he still doesn't quite do that because there's a veil between us and him. We can't see beyond it. If we were able to wrap our minds totally around it, around this being who is God, we'd probably explode. Just uh, not saying, just saying. We'd probably explode. That's how it goes. And so we, we still need kind of a, a stepping stone into the fullness so that's one parallel of this, this dating example. Uh, another is, it's God's initiative. You know, if you're going to date, you're trying to you know, get help the other person to get to know you, you're going to be taking the initiative, but you're also going to hope that the other person asks you something. Well, tell me, who are you? Uh, what's going on in your life? Tell me what the, what makes um, Susie click, you know, what makes a uh, Billy, you know, be Billy. And you try to leave a little bit of curiosity there. You try to in, uh, help that other person to grow with that curiosity. God does the same thing. He's the one who takes the initiative. He says, Hey, guess what? I'm here. And then man says, okay, I guess I'll do my best to listen. Uh, by the way, who are you? <laughs> who are you? And the dialogue continues. The dialogue continues. So let's begin with some of the key elements of God's initiative. You know, first off, we could say creation. You know, this is the first dialogue. Why is it the first dialogue? Well, think of the word dialogue itself. Dia logos. Dia, I believe, means across. And logos is word among other definitions such as reason and, and kind of intellect. So it's, it's the word that goes across. It's the spoken word. When the two people are dialoguing, there's words that go across. And from all eternity, God speaks his eternal word. And that word that was first manifest in history was, let there be light. And that was the first dialogue. 
And the response was creation. Creation existed, firstly, as light. So this is just an example to say, hey, guess what? God began this dialogue with his initiative. He spoke creation to being. Creation didn't ask to be created. No. God said, I want creation. I choose creation. Yeah, it's game time. I'm doing it. The second major revelation of who God was, was with Abram. He begins as Abram and moves on towards Abraham later on. But the story of Abraham begins with God's initiative. We hear this in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram. It was just out of the blue. You know, I don't, we don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was doing his farming. Maybe he was hunting. Maybe he um, was, who knows, chit-chatting with his uncle or his father-in-law, you know. We don't really know. We don't really know. But it was just out of the blue. And with this first initiative, there was a call. There was a summons. There was a purpose. Go to the land that I will show you. And man is put into this dialogue, which means that he is called to response. He is called to put his word back across. And this is him saying, okay, I will do what you say, you know. The second great story of, of the revelation of God is with Moses. Uh, already there's a relationship with Moses beyond, uh, before the call of Moses from the burning bush. But it's the burning bush that we hear the greatest revelation of God. Uh, we hear the name of Almighty God. And so in chapter 3 we hear, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Angel of the Lord being some kind of a, a representation of the divine presence here. Uh, sometimes it's translated, or the direct translation would be messenger. But it's sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes used a little bit more broadly to speak of some form of a, of a manifestation of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and lo, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So the first there's a visual initiative. Whoa, God just is doing a miracle here. And then Moses' simple response is, let me check it out. So he goes over. And then God continues this dialogue with more initiative. You see what's going on? There's a little bit of create, uh, curiosity here. Not a whole lot, but Moses wants to see what's going on here. This is something that God's doing here. This is wild. Never seen this before. A, burst, a bush on fire, but it's not being consumed. Let's check it out more. So he's God's drawn forth the curiosity of Moses. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And ultimately, we know that through this, Moses receives his call, his mission to return back to Egypt and lead his people into freedom. And Moses will need to respond to this. So the dialogue continues. The dialogue continues. But it's God's initiative. This is really what I want to highlight. It's God who has first loved us. It's not that we were like, I don't know who God is, but you know what? I'm going to find him. I'm going to hunt him down. I, yeah, you know, if that was the case, then would we need some kind of a supernatural revelation? You know, we have to have some kind of a, a, a hint that God is there. And we can get a hint in creation. We can see the grandeur of the mountains, the, the, the mystery and the depths of the sky. And that speaks to us of something beyond but even with that, there's the initiative of God because he created creation that 
it would point to him. So in the way that creation is already there, there's already this. But without any sign of God's presence, without anything, we wouldn't have the curiosity. We would never ask. We would never search. We would never hear anything. It's God who takes the initiative. I really, really, really want to hit this home. It's God who has first loved us, as St. John described in his letter. It's God who has first loved us. He took the initiative in this dialogue. And so that's Abraham I talked about, Moses I talked about, all the prophets. They have these crazy experiences that we'll call theophanies. They're the they're manifestations of God in some way or another. You know, they're not perfect. They're in the sense of, uh, they come from a perfect source. But they have to be adapted to man's sensibilities. And therefore, they are in concrete signs. Even though God is not concrete, he is purely spiritual. But God says, you know what? I got something special I gotta give you. I want to, not he doesn't have to. It's not necessary. I want to give you. I choose and love to give you experience this crazy manifestation of who I am and take it back to the people. Give them hope through this. And this is what the prophets do. So the dialogue begins and we have our role. In the dialogue, there's always a call, a mission, a an invitation for us to respond. That's our role, to respond ultimately through the, through the life of faith, trust, obedience, not just a moment of that, but a life of that. It's not a moment of dialogue. It's a life of dialogue. It's a life of dialogue. This is why prayer is so, so important. And this is also why prayer is not necessarily so much our role. It's, it's us being attentive to God's word to us in this dialogue so that we can grow in that curiosity and that desire and that hunger for God. Uh, so I'll just love, love this stuff. God is so good to just speak forth from all eternity to say, I want creation. Not only any creation, I want human beings. Not only human beings, I want them to be fulfilled in my divine life. It's like, oh my gosh. And each one of these steps is his initiative and he calls us to respond. It's so, so good. So here's a question here. So in the Old Testament, God reveals himself. Does he reveal himself fully? The answer is no. We get glimpses of who God is. He speaks to us. He does not lie to us. And the people do get a sense of not just facts about who he is, but they get a sense of who God is in and of himself. So they they get a sense of who he is, but they don't get a sense of the fullness of who God is. They don't get to know everything about God. Why? Because uh, he has not yet done that. Do we ever get the full the full face of God, the full gift of God, the full revelation of God? The answer is yes, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. I want to read from the letter to the Hebrews. There's the very first chapter, the very first verse there. In many ways, excuse me, in many and various ways, God spoke to old, of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it. This is us. So as we look on the face of God, as we look on the face of Jesus, we look on the face of God. And you know, how awesome and cool is that? In Jesus, all of God is there. All of God is there. Uh, we can think of what he he speaks to Philip. 
uh, who says, hey, show us the Father. Uh, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You know, it's kind of saying like, hey, you know, you can take us into deeper spiritual truth. You can help us to get to know God better. And Jesus says, oh, come on, you dummy. <laughs> he doesn't say that. But he says, have, he kind of rebukes him. Anyone who sees me has seen the Father. Do you not believe the Father is in me and I am in the Father? So he's highlighting this absolute unity, this absolute unity. And whoever sees Jesus sees the Father. In one of the letters of St. Paul, we hear that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Again, it's it's God's initiative. It's God just saying, you know what? I want to do this. I'm going to do this. You can't stop me. <laughs> you're going to try because you're going to try to kill my revelation of my own very son, but it ain't going to work. In fact, through that, God's going to, I'm going to reveal myself even more. I'm not quite there yet, but this is what's going on. So God is totally manifest in Jesus. Whoever sees Jesus and knows Jesus knows the Father, knows the, the eternal God. This is this is incredible. So the dialogue advances as Jesus is given to the into the world. Our first response is that of faith, saying, Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, that might be a piece of it. Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, where the dialogue continues. It's not a one time like, yes, I have absolute and total perfect faith. It's not how it works. It's more of a yes, I believe now, and I'm going to put my future into an absolute dependence upon you, just as a man would put his life in the hands of a parachute. You know, there's no hope if you jump from a plane without a parachute, you got to put it on. Same thing with us. Uh, the response of faith says, I have no hope unless I cling to Jesus Christ. So this is our response. He gives us a full commitment, total self-revelation, and we we respond with a full commitment of ourselves. He reveals himself in his person, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son. We're going to talk more about some of the details of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian theology, Christology, but that's not where we're at. We're just talking about Jesus gives himself totally to us, and he calls us to give ourselves totally to him. He reveals himself in his flesh, in his being, because in his being, it's all there. But he also reveals himself through his works, through what he does. We see this most fundamentally, most fundamentally in the crucifixion. It is just an incredible thing. We can think of the centurion there at the foot of the cross. After Jesus dies, he looks up and he says, truly, this was the Son of God. That's a profound statement of faith. As we, If you want to know who Jesus is and who God is, look upon the cross of Christ. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila says, if you, you know, you're not going to be able to meditate too much on, on the crucifixion. If you do that, you're just going to be super dang holy. So, you know, because that's where the fullness of this revelation is. Jesus is that fullness in his person. Why? Because he is God. But he also manifests this through his profound love, his absolute love. God is love and he who lives in love lives in God and God in him. He eliminates separation that is caused by sin. He grants the, the full gift of himself to us. 
incredible, incredible. Talk about the gift of the Eucharist. Not only is it the greatest gift that God has given to us, it's the greatest possible gift because in one gift, there is the very absolute presence of Jesus Christ, who is God, as well as the presence of the greatest act of love, the sacrifice of divine being for us. Whoa. And it's right there encapsulated in what looks like bread. It's insane. This is a, it's a strange thing because revelation is essentially an act of unveiling. But in order to take away the veil and be united with us more and more, he puts himself into a, another veil, another disguise. And so, you know, this revelation has not been fully received on our end, even though it's been fully given. But we look forward to that last day when it's all going to be revealed. It's going to be the best. It will literally be the best, just as the Eucharist is already the best. So this is super cool here. I want to read from one of the church fathers. Uh, he is so profound. Uh, he is known as the first theologian of the church. Well, you might say, well, St. Paul's kind of the first theologian of the church. You know, he kind of, it kind of worked out. A lot of that stuff, you know, a lot of what St. Paul was writing from was his own experience, his own encounter with God and lived encounter with God, not like a momentary encounter with God, a lived encounter with God. And he certainly did use his mind and his heart to give flesh to that through the Holy Spirit. It was totally inspired. But at the same hand, you, you kind of got to have a have to have a guide to go through some of these these works of St. Paul and the, the most systematic one of these is Romans. But Romans is, is it's not a textbook, you know, it's not like a little mini guide to who Jesus was. It's, it's more complicated. So Irenaeus is recognized to be the first theologian, we would say. Not to say there's not others who had done that, but in he, he's just so, so profound, so profound. And so he's writing in the year 100s, the second half of that. So before the year 200. And this is what he says. He's going to be talking about God teaching us, but step by step, because we have to know this gradually. And this falls under that theme of, yes, God takes the initiative. He wants to teach us, but he does so gradually. He does so gradually. He, he draws forth our curiosity, her, our desire. He prepares us for the best to come. So he begins. From the beginning, God created man out of his own generosity. That's to say out of love. You know, he did this with his own initiative. He chose the patriarchs to give them salvation. He took his people in hand, teaching them, unteachable as they were, to follow him. This is so profound right there. He gave them prophets, accustoming man to bear his spirit and to have communion with God on earth. Here he's saying, okay, God gave a spirit to certain men to get all of men used to the idea that God can have some kind of life within us because that's kind of right in the old days that would have just blown their minds. It still blows people's minds today and, and people have a very hard time accepting this. It's just how it goes. He who stands in no, need of no one gave communion with himself to those who need him. Like an architect he outlined the plan of salvation to those who sought to please him. By his own hand, he gave food in Egypt to those who did not see him. 
To those who are restless in the desert, he gave a law perfectly suited to them. He doesn't say it's a law that is perfect. He says a law that's perfectly suited to them. God continues to humble himself, not revealing his himself in all in all grandeur as he truly is, but he suits his teaching. He suits his law to make it suitable for us. It's pretty, pretty generous and humble. To those who entered the land of prosperity, he continues, he gave a worthy inheritance. He killed the fattened calf for those who turned to him as father and clothed them with the finest garment. In so many ways, he was training the human race to take part in the harmonious song of salvation. It's so beautiful. But but notice that, that word training there. He's preparing humanity to be able to receive the fullness of this revelation. Very good. So let's see here. There's the, he established a law for the people governing the construction of the tabernacle and the building of the temple, the choice of Levites, the sacrifices, the offerings, the rites of purification, the rest of what belonged to worship. He himself needs none of these things. He is always filled with all that is good. Even before Moses existed, he had within himself every fragrance of all that is pleasing. Yet he sought to teach his people, always ready, though they were to return to their idols, though many acts of, excuse me, through many acts of indulgence, he tried to prepare them for perseverance in his service. Again, he's always ready to help. He sought to teach the people. He tried to prepare the people through these acts of indulgence, acts of indulgence. That is to say, he found pleasure in humbling himself to to be suitable for us. Just incredible, incredible, incredible. He kept calling them to what was primary by means of what was secondary. That is, through foreshadowings to the reality. Through things of time to the things of eternity. Through things of the flesh to the things of the spirit. Through earthly things to the heavenly things. As he said to Moses, you will fashion all things according to the pattern that you saw on the mountain. So God is getting people used to this idea through what he calls foreshadowings. We can also use the word prefigurings, kind of the same idea. There's a sense of what's going on in the future, but it's happening right now. The future is going to be pure spirit. It will be pure truth. It will be eternity. But we need the the tangible stuff. We need the tangible stuff. So again, he, through an indulgence, he humbles himself. For 40 days, Moses was engaged in remembering the words of God, the heavenly patterns, the spiritual images, the foreshadowings of what was to come. That is to say, Moses saw what was going on up there in heaven. He actually did have a glimpse into it. And he used that glimpse to communicate God's plan for our worship of him, even those imperfect before Jesus came. St. Paul says, they drank from the rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. After speaking of the things that are in the law, he continues, all these things happen to them as symbols or types, as sometimes it's also translated. They were written to instruct us on whom the end of the age has come. Through foreshadowings of the future, they were learning reverence for God and perseverance in his service. The law was therefore a school of instruction for them and a prophecy of what was to come. I love this stuff. It is so beautiful, so, so dang good. 
God takes the initiative. And it's not an initiative that just like destroys us in one gift of revelation. It would totally blow us away. No, it's step by step. It's step by step. He doesn't have to do it. He wants to do it. It's a it's an act of indulgence. He pleases himself by humbling himself to what can be suitable for us. But not only what is suitable for us at a natural level, he prepares us through these special gifts for what is to come. That is the eternal, the true, the absolute, the divine gift of his very self. He does it in history. He does it in stages. It's kind of like a flower. One petal opens up, another layer of petals open up, another layer of petals open up until you get to the very center of it, which is the most precious because that's where the seeds are formed. So this is this is kind of this model of a flower opening up. Jesus is that gift of the whole, but it took a lot of previous little steps of opening up to get to Jesus, the pureness of that gift. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. You know, this is super relevant for us in a lot of different ways. It shows us that God is love and he loves us. He is love. It shows us that he wants to be uh, known. He So he's going to make himself available one way or another. Uh, faith is a gift. It's something that we receive and respond to. Uh, faith is also, it's, it's uh, something that we have to, it's kind of like a dance, you know, it takes two to tango. You know, God can give himself, but if we don't say anything, you know, it ain't going to happen. We got to step into there and dance. Um, you know, this can be hard. This is a difficult thing for a lot of people. And there's a need for authentic interpretation because of the complications that come with sin. Um, a lot of people said in John chapter 6, when, when Jesus gave very hard teachings, they're like, this is hard teaching. Who can listen? But we are recipients. Perhaps this is the most, most relevant thing of what I'm talking about here. We are recipients of this dialogue before God. He shares with us and we receive he offers his initiative, and we and we respond to that accordingly. We are listeners. We are hearers of the word. The word is spoken to us, and we receive that word. And in our humility and in our great dignity as Christians, we respond with our own word of, Yes, Lord, this I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to that word. Peace be with you. Thanks for tuning in. Share this. Leave a positive review. Adios, amigos. Bye. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. To find out more about this podcast, you can find it online on your favorite streaming platform now.